0: Uh, Christmas is a great time of the year, isn't it? Wow, okay, maybe Maybe not, maybe not. Christmas is a great time of the year, isn't it? Oh my goodness, yes, yes, I can dig it. Uh, Christmas is a great time of the year for revolution. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the response was muted there. I know that most of us don't put... Christmas and revolution together, but they actually do go together very well because if ever there was an event that turned the world upside down or right side up, it would have to be the gift of Jesus Christ that first Christmas. Uh, We've been in this series entitled Going 70s for the Holidays and uh, everything's been essentially 70s themed and one of the things that I think is true of the 70s I know this is true is that the 70s were kind of a time of revolution and the height of the revolution time during our nation's history was from about 1968 to about 1973 and right in the middle of that time in 1970 there was this song that came out the revolution will not be televised how many of y'all remember that? Anybody here? All right, woo! There's a few. Nobody in the first service remembered this one. Uh, the the revolution will not be televised. It was a, a really great uh, song. Gil Scott Heron uh, wrote it, sang it, performed it, and it was kind of like a rap song before rap was invented. It's sort of a chant or a kind of a steady beat, talking through the song, a little bit like Johnny Cash, only different. Uh, here's here's how it goes. You will not be able to stay at home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and drop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and Skip, skip out for beer during commercials, because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruption, and on it goes from there. And it's kind of an impactful song, especially when you think about the Black Panther movement and that particular time in our nation's history. Just kind of impactful, a time of revolution. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to, go back to the most significant revolution. It's the revolution that was not televised. In fact, it's a revolution that was so small and so humble that very few people ever identified it as revolution, but it was. We're going back to the birth of Jesus, back to the sending of this gift into the world. With that, I'm going to invite you to stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. The text this morning is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Then, John chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen, and then Luke chapter two verses ten through eleven. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then uh, Luke, chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. May God bless. Reading his word. You may be seated. Now, let's acknowledge that Christmas is kind of a wild holiday because when you think of holidays in virtually every other holiday or anniversary or celebration, you've got one or a few people to whom you give gifts. If you're thinking about Father's Day or Mother's Day or your birthday or an anniversary at work, whatever the case may be, whenever gifts are given, they're given to one or or to a few or a particular group of people. Here's my question. How many holidays do we have where everybody gives a gift? to everybody else, where every single person in the world gets a gift, or at least we want them to have a gift. What's the holiday where everybody gives a gift to everybody? Christmas. Man, the the audience participation is through the roof this morning. This is fantastic. Yes, Christmas, and it's entirely appropriate that Christmas would be that day because on that first Christmas day, God gave a gift to everyone, and so it's very fitting that everyone get a gift On this particular day. Because on Christmas we're not just celebrating the coming of Jesus into this world. That's a mistake. We're not celebrating the coming of Jesus into the world. Here's what we're celebrating. We are celebrating the gift of God's son to this world. Jesus didn't just come into this world. If he just came into this world we could have a religion of works or a religion of wages. But since Jesus Christ is a gift we know that it's all grace. Jesus Christ Christ was given to you and to me, and that's what we're celebrating. And so when I say something, I want you to say, can you dig it? If you really are into this, Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that could possibly be given. Can you dig it? Say, I can dig it. it. Awesome. That's fantastic. That was really very good. Uh, In case you didn't know, if you're born you know, before, uh, I don't know, or after the 70s, you're not really familiar with this, When I say can you dig it, I'm meaning can you understand, can you really get into this. It's not just do you comprehend this, it's do you buy into this. Are you believing this? Are you believing this in a revolutionary way where it revolutionizes your life, where you're like, I'm down with this, I'm all in. That's what can you dig it meant. And so it's interesting that can you dig it died out in the 70s or the late 70s because it was associated with revolution. The 80s was the decade of consumption. And so by the 80s, nobody was saying, can you dig it anymore? So if I say, can you dig it, it's like, I'm in. Here's what I mean in particular. There's this movie clip from the 70s. It's uh, from the Warriors. I'm not recommending the movie. I haven't seen the whole movie. It's really very cheesy. But it's about this guy who's leading these gangs in New York, and 60,000 gang members gather together, and 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 he is saying, hey, there's 60,000 of us, and there's only 20,000 cops, and he uses other words for cops, and we can take it to the authorities. And then he stands up in Central Park, and here's how he ends the speech. Can we do this? You ready? Let's do it. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? All right. Imagine you got your bell bottoms on. Okay? You got your your collared shirts where the collar comes out past the edge of your shoulders. Are you ready for this? Jesus Christ did not merely come into the world. Jesus Christ was given to us. Can you dig it? Oh man, you know. (laughs) Yeah, several decades happened and, you know, we've lost something. Revolution is gone. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just say, I can dig it. Can you dig it? I can dig it. All right. That's good enough for me. Fantastic. Jesus was given. That's what the scripture just told us, right? Unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given. Jesus Christ is a gift to us. For God so loved the world that he did what he gave us, his only begotten son. It's a gift. This is fantastic. And it changes everything. And I know that for some people you're thinking, okay, that's where, where you're losing me a little bit, Ernest, because I get it. Jesus is wonderful. This is fantastic. We all love Christmas. But revolutionary the gift of jesus christ is revolutionary it was for the apostle paul the apostle paul over in 1 first corinthians chapter 9 verse 15 just talking about the wonder of the gift he says you know he just kind of breaks into 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 praise in the middle of some other thought and he says you know thanks be to god for his indescribable gift and other translations will say a gift two wonderful words it's it's just this gift that is beyond description it's beyond compare it's beyond our ability to understand and he just If he would have been writing in the 70s, he would have said, I can really, really dig it. It it meant a lot to Paul. Here's why. It's revolutionary. And you say, I don't understand. Why is this so revolutionary? I'm glad you asked. We're going to spend some time thinking about how this gift is so revolutionary. And we're going to start like this. Let's think about the nature of the gift itself. For starters, most of us in this room, we recognize that when it comes to gifts, the best gifts are the ones where it's a surprise. It's a really, really good gift, but on top of it being a really, really good gift, it's a surprise. Now, for those of us who are a little bit older and a little bit more practical, we recognize we don't do kind of surprise gifts anymore. I mean, my wife and I at Christmas, we kind of talk to each other about what we want, and so here's how it sort of worked. Uh Here's how it worked in our... Ha- Scotland's Hey, by the way, we're going to be having a baby dedication at the end, and so... You know, which, by the way, let me just kind of interrupt here for an announcement, speaking of uh, babies that are, you know, on Christmas Eve, we're going to be in here at the 530 service. There's not going to be child care, but on Christmas Eve, we expect that the only baby that doesn't cry is Jesus. So please come for the Christmas Eve candlelight service. Bring your kids, bring your children. It's just a wonderful family affair. Uh, but anyways, I digress. I don't know why, but I digress. Um, When we give gifts to one another, especially when we're old, we're not little, we kind of know what's coming. In fact, with Jean and I, we know exactly what it is that is coming. Uh, Earlier, well, I guess it was last week, she said, hey, I want this. I said, what is that? And she showed me what she had kind of Googled or found on Amazon. So she sent me the specific link with a specific gift on there, because if she presses purchase now, it's not a gift. But if she sends the link to me and I press purchase now, it's a gift. And then it got there the next day, and I'm going to wrap it, you know, at least by Christmas Eve morning, and that's just the way it works around our house. Merry middle-aged Christmas. Uh, and and we, we got each other some real, actually some pretty big gifts. Uh, I got her a couch. She got me a loveseat. They match. Surprise, surprise. We picked them out together. Uh, we had a, an old couch and, a, and an old love seat. They were so bad. And Mark helped me with this. And, and he, can, he can testify. They were so bad that the Goodwill didn't take them. Uh, you know, Caring Place didn't take them. But that's okay. Gina's not bitter. But we got each other a couch and a love seat. We didn't wrap them. We didn't put a bow on top. We're already sitting on them. Merry middle-aged Christmas. Okay, you, you get it? But when you're younger, there has to be a Surprise. And, and so if you've got children or grandchildren, you you get the gift you think they're going to like, you hide them, and then you wrap them. And then they'll shake them up and then they guess, what is this? And, and then they guess what it is that you got them and maybe they guess appropriately and you kind of tell them, no, not really, and you kind of fib, but it's Christmas and it doesn't count as a sin. But anyways, you, you, they, 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 they shake it up and it rattles and they go, oh, what is this? And then it's too heavy, what is this? Or you put a brick in it and it's a light gift and you kind of throw them off. And, and then when they open the gifts on Christmas morning... It's wonderful. It's not just that they received the gift. It's the surprise that they actually got what they were hinting at you that they really wanted. And so they look like this guy up on the screen. Uh, anybody recognize him? He's got a little ball in one hand and a plastic car in the other. You know who that is? That's Mark Rich. Yeah, he's like 14 weeks old there. He's already, he's already four and a half feet tall. It's fantastic. And and uh, you know he is like oh, you know you know rubber ball it's a you know plastic car yeah and so after I saw that picture instead of getting him like a gift card to Starbucks I went and got him a rubber ball and a plastic car and he wasn't very excited about it but uh, no I'm just kidding but you know you, you you open that up and his excitement is bigger than the collar that's reaching out over the edge of his shir- shoulders there it's really fantastic because that's part of what makes a gift great, is because it's a surprise, right? That's Jesus. He's the ultimate surprise, because actually nobody was looking for him. They were expecting a Messiah, but they weren't expecting Jesus as Jesus actually came. So he was a surprise. Nobody was really expecting the the, the Jesus they got, because the world was looking for power, and Jesus didn't come that way, and they certainly weren't expecting the gift to be wrapped in cloths and packaged in a manger. Because if you ask the world at the time, hey, what do you want? They're going to say, well, here's what we really want. We want power from God because here's our big problem. Our big problem is we have evildoers out there and bad circumstances out there. And we need someone, a Messiah or a miracle worker, someone like that, to come along and give us the power to deal with this disease or to deal with these Roman oppressors. See, back in the day, the, the big problem for a lot of people was there's this sickness out here, we don't have great doctors, and the sickness has come upon me, and I need a healer to come into my life. Jesus demonstrated that he had that power, but if you read through John's gospel, you see that he demonstrated that power not to communicate he was primarily about power. These were signs concerning who he actually was. And then there were the people that were looking for the Messiah primarily as a political leader because they were saying, you know, there's these evildoers out there, they're called Roman governors. They're called Roman soldiers, and they've got their their boot on our throat, and, and we need a Messiah to kick those guys out, because the real problem in our life is out there with these evil people, and we need someone to come along and give us power to kick those guys out. So during the time when Jesus looked like the gift everybody was expecting, everybody was following him. But when Jesus came in weakness, and when Jesus left the world in weakness, being basically treated like a lamb led to slaughter a lamb being bled out by his persecutors everybody abandoned him and they said hey that can't possibly be the gift because we know what gift we need we need power and so when jesus is in the middle of his ministry the height of his ministry everybody's following him because he looks like the gift they were expecting but when jesus left the world in weakness like he came in weakness everybody's saying that can't possibly be the gift and they rejected Jesus. Now, before we move on here, let me just kind of press on this a little bit because here's our problem too. Our problem is typically people will say, if God were going to come into my world and save me, here's what I need. I need power. You know why? Because my problem is them. My problem is that person, those people, that circumstance, and if God wants to save me, he needs to give me power to overcome that circumstance or that obstacle or those people. And, and, and that's why churches that kind of focus on the power of Jesus, very, very popular, forget the birth, forget the crucifixion, let's hang out on the power part because we all want that. And that's why some places are very filled with... Uh, Lots and lots of people because they say that's the gift we're after because we know what our real problem is. Our problem is that stuff out there, those circumstances, that situation, or those people. And if God's going to save me, he's going to give me the kind of Messiah who's going to give me what I need to press through and run over that stuff. That's us. 90% of the time, here's what we think. Our problem's out there and, and, and the otherness typically is manifest in themness. Not always, but typically. So you ask somebody who's a have, what's the problem here? The haves will look at the have-nots, and they'll kind of say, okay, uh, you know, I've worked really hard for what I have, and if everybody was like me, or if everybody was like us, we'd be great. But it's those lazy people, it's those do-nothings, it's the lawless ones, they're dragging all the rest of us down. You know what the problem is? It's them. Cuz if they were more like us, our society would be better. And then the have nots look at the haves and they go, "You know what the problem is? It's them." They're holding on to their stuff, they're keeping their stuff, and it's not just their money. They're just not letting us in because they make sure that their people get on the right boards and into the right boardrooms and into the right schools and into the right jobs and if the here's the problem. We got to rise up and take it from them and that's largely the revolution will not be televised kind of undertones. And some of us here are going, well, I don't know if I'm a have or a have not. I'm kind of middle class. But it doesn't matter who you are or where you are in the spectrum. Most of us, we do a little bit of the blame game and we do the themness. And here's how it looks. Well, the real problem is my mom. The real problem is my dad. The real problem is my ex. The real problem is my mother-in-law. The real problem is my children. I'm, later on, believe it or not, I'm going to blame my great-great-grandparents. It's true. It's them. Or we just look at our job and say, I just got in the wrong field. Or I haven't had the right breaks. Or I don't know the right people. Or I don't have enough money. And and it's that stuff. It's that out there-ness. It's them. You know what part of the message of Christmas is? Part of the message of Christmas is, there is no such thing as them-ness. Because God sent his son as a gift to all people. Here's the message of Christmas, or at least part of it. At Christmas... Nobody got what they were expecting, but they were getting exactly what they needed. And the gift was to all people, which means Jesus was not a gift from God to just the poor, like the shepherds in the field. He wasn't just a gift to the rich, to the Magi who had lots of leisure time so they could take a trip and give gold and frankincense and myrrh to a little kid. He didn't just come to a few. He didn't just come to the Jews. This is a gift to the whole world, to all people. Part of the implication of that is if you understand the gift that that God gave in Jesus Christ, there's no themness. Next year, probably early in the year, I'm going to do a series just on prejudice. And we'll talk about male and female. We'll talk about rich and poor. We'll talk about a whole lot of things, but if you get the gift of Christmas, you know what that means? We have this universal need and this universal grace provision, which means there's no themness. People weren't expecting that because they were thinking the problem is out there and the problem is largely them. And Jesus came in weakness, not in power, not as anybody expected. See, God gave the gift of Jesus Christ to address the problem in you and in me. Can you dig it? Yeah, not as enthusiastic about that one. I know. Uh, it, it, look, we don't need a Messiah to come along and deal with the evil out there. You know why? If God dealt with the evil doers out there, where would we be? We'd be, if, if, if God came and obliterated the evil doers out there, we'd kind of be part of the obliteration because you and I are the we. We, we are the them. What we needed, what we weren't looking for, but what we actually most need, and most people aren't looking for, is we were needing somebody to deal with the problem in here. This is why there's a a universal gift because we all have the same need. We were needing somebody to deal with the problem in here, to show us our sin, to deal with our sin, to die for our sin, to cover the guilt of our sin and to eventually eradicate sins presence from our lives that we would know freedom if we could have a messiah come along and do that inside of every one of us guess what's going to happen there's going to be tremendous joy in the world that's the ultimate revolution where it's not one side trading power with another where we take it from them and then they take it back from us and we take it from them and then we're resentful because they whoever they are didn't give us what it is that we need and you know the the bad thing about the them and the and the the, the we and the them, is there's so many different we's and there's so many different them's that before long, you're just kind of in your own little world and you're never going to be satisfied because they don't have what you need. God has already given you what you need in Jesus Christ because your greatest need and my greatest need has to do with our sin. A Christian is somebody who knows, I got the gift I need that first Christmas morning. It's like God stuck it right under my tree. What I really need, and what I've come to see as a Christian, is that I just need someone to take care of my sin. I've got this selfishness, I've got this self-interest, I've got this self-assertion, and I need to have that removed from my life. I need to have that covered in my life, because what I need, as every human being does, what I need is God smack dab in the middle of my life. Up there has come down here, but I want up there, down here, in the middle of my life, transforming my life and my family and impacting other people around me because I was made in the image of God to be in a relationship with God, and that's what's missing in every person's life because of sin. A Christian recognizes the real revolution isn't me or them or them or me or whatever. or It's not horizontal. The real revolution is away from power and into grace. Because Christianity, in the fact that Jesus Christ is the gift that is given to all, Christianity is not a religion. It's not a religion of works. It's not a religion of wages. If Jesus, if Jesus simply came, it might be a religion of wages, where you get what you deserve. But because Jesus Christ is a gift, none of it is about what we deserve. It's all grace, because the gift is what you get, and you didn't earn it. You were just given it by his grace. The major revolution then isn't a horizontal one. The major revolution is one inside of here. And when everybody buys what it is that God has given or receives what it is that God has given, here's what happens. Joy in the world. Because there's no longer the enmity with one another because our enmity, our our negative status with God has been healed. When that's healed, then there can be joy. That's the nature of the revolution. And God, when he gave us this gift, it was a tremendous, generous gift. Let's just talk about this, the nature of the gift. God gave you a gift that not even God himself could top. Can you dig it? I hope so. I hope you're digging it, because here's the thing. When God gave you the gift, it was the only gift he could possibly give that he did not give outside of himself. What I mean to say is he didn't give you a gift in all the the best gift he could give in all creation. The gift that he gave came from within himself, which was outside of the creation. Let me put it to you like this. God, when he gave you the only begotten son, he gave you himself. He gave you God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. This is a really weird word. The only begotten son. What in the world does that mean? It's a great translation of the word. If the Greek word is monogenesis, we'll just make it simple like that. Singular, monogenesis, origin. It's of singular origin. Jesus, when he was given as the only begotten son, was unlike everything else in all creation. You know why? Because he wasn't a part of creation. Because what God gave you when he sent the only begotten son was the uncreated creator. In Christ, he gave nothing less than himself. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to infinity, it's pretty hard to top that. God gave himself. Now, this is profound, and I could spend a lot of time just talking about the incarnation and the implications of this. But there's a guy named Athanasius. He, he thought about this a whole lot in the early church. It's in the middle of the 4th century. He was the 20th bishop of, of uh, Alexandria. Thought a lot about the incarnation the only begottenness of God. Here's a little hymn that, is con- that still is attributed Athanasius. We'll just read this. This is the summary. Only begotten, Son, and immortal Word of God, who for our salvation didst will to be incarnate, who without change didst become man, and was crucified, who art one of the Holy Trinity, glorified with the Father and the Holy Spirit. O Christ, our God, trampling down death by death, save us. God could not possibly have given more to you than God has already given to you. Can you dig it? All right. Now, here's the question. Why did God have to give such a big gift? Well, because our need was that big. Here's the thing. You you don't have to be a doctor or a, a chemist or a biologist to understand the depth of somebody's physical limitation or need. If somebody goes to the hospital And they just tell you, look, I'm going in for a cataract. I say, really? Okay, what's what's involved? And they say, well, it's outpatient surgery. I'll be there for three days. Well, no, three hours. I'll go home and I'll have a patch on my eye for three days. He goes, well, that's too bad. Nobody wants cataracts. I know people have had them. You get past it. It hurts a little bit, a little bit scary. But you know what happens? My dad has skin cancer. You don't have to know all about cancer. And every once in a while, he'll go in and have a little place removed burned off in the doctor's office, maybe a couple of stitches. It's it's very inconvenient, and it needs to be dealt with. But, you know, it happens. Is it going to happen to me? I don't know. It's sort of a hereditary thing, maybe. But you just deal with it. And then you run into the person who says, well, I've got this condition, and uh, my insurance has paid $2.4 million so far for the treatment. You go, oh, my goodness. Or somebody has been in a wreck and they say, I've been through 12 surgeries already and I've got 10 more scheduled. And you go, wow. Or somebody says, I've been in physical therapy now for over a year, four hours, every day, five days a week. You say, wow. Or somebody says, i got this cancer and I'm on my sixth treatment with interferon, which is poison for the whole body. And even though every cell in my body is getting poisoned, the doctor says, you got to do it. And you know this is a bad cancer. This is a bad situation. You don't have to know biology, you don't have to know chemistry. You just know the cost that is involved in the healing, and you recognize this is bad. So God sent you Himself. How bad is it? It's bad. The Bible says the wages of sin, the consequence of sin, it's death. Because of our sin, we had a well, we we have this terminal condition. And God knew. He loves you, and that's why he sent his son, but he sent his son because he also knew that nothing less than God taking your place, living the life you should have lived, and dying the death you should have died, is going to suffice. Because he knows death is coming, separation is already there, and it's going to last for all eternity. Just because you're separated from God now by your sin doesn't mean that it, it changes automatically when you die. No, because God is immortal, and because you have a soul, whatever's true now is true for all eternity, so... If you're dead in your sins now, guess what happens after death? You're going to be separated from God for all eternity. But God wants a relationship with you. He treasures you so much. He loves you so much that he was willing to live the life you should have lived and die the death that you should have died. Not just so that you'll go to heaven one day when you die, although that's true. God wants a relationship with you. He wants up there to come down here into your life. And the only way that was going to happen is the gift of the Son. That's how great the gift is, that's how deep our need is, and it's universal. Isn't that wonderful that he gave you and gave me what it is that we need? Can you dig it? I can dig it. I hope that you're digging it. Because uh, to the degree that you dig it or don't dig it, to that degree you kind of get it or you don't. I mean, look, let me just put it like this. You can tell a lot about a person in terms of how they respond to what gift. You can tell a lot about a person's immaturity if they don't value appropriately the greater gifts, and you can tell a lot about a person's immaturity if they only value the lesser gifts. Uh, let's see if I can put this appropriate. Let's go back to the picture of Mark. Can we put that back up there? Yeah. Now, this is wonderful. It's great. This picture cracks me up. Not just because of the leisure suit, which is so beautiful. Also, the truth of the story is, Mark told me he has not worn a suit until the ordination service from between that suit until just a few months ago. You must have hated that suit. Now, here's what's so weird about this. You know, he's got, you know, know, rubber ball, plastic car, yes! He's so happy. And it's like the suit, forget about it. I don't, I don't want to wear a suit again for the rest of my life. That's how kids are. You give them the little plastic rubber stuff that maybe, the plastic stuff maybe breaks in like two or three days and they, but that's what they celebrate on Christmas morning. Even the boxes in which the plastic stuff came that will fall apart in a few days. They love that, but the, but the, but the suit or the shirt and the pants and the socks that they're going to have an opportunity to wear all year long, forget that. They're not celebrating that. That's what children do. Children are enthusiastic about unimportant things, and they're not enthusiastic about the greater gifts. But, but we're adults. So let me ask you, how's your response to the gift of Jesus Christ? Does the gift of Jesus radically humble you? Does it make you a radically forgiven, a forgiving person? Because you have been radically forgiven. Does it make you the kind of person who repents of your sin when you have the opportunity because you know that's the stuff that made the gift necessary in the first place? Do you repent of your lust for power, which you know stands in direct contradiction to the gift of God's grace? Are you deeply appreciative and thankful for the gift? Do you stand confident... In your adoption into the family of God because of the gift of God's only begotten Son who came for you. How are you responding to the to the gift? You know, one of the, the saddest things to me is for people to be presented the gift and then they don't ever quite appropriate it or understand or receive. There's nothing more tragic than being offered a tremendous gift and then essentially rejecting it. There's this wonderful story that Jesus tells It's in the book of Matthew. It's about this pearl merchant. This pearl merchant, the idea is this pearl merchant's an expert. He can tell the difference between a bad pearl and a good pearl and a good pearl and a great pearl and a great pearl and a world-class pearl. And so he's going through the harbor towns where the pearl divers and the wholesalers meet up and he sees this bucket of pearls and, and and in one of, the, one of the buckets or whatever is laid out on the table, he sees this pearl, and he knows that is a world-class, once-in-a-lifetime super pearl. So he asks the seller, what does that cost? And the seller knows, now this is a really good pearl, and he names a price that equals the net worth of the merchant. So what does the merchant do? Well, the merchant does what any wise person would do. They He sells everything he has. He liquidates all of his assets. For a moment, he becomes entirely poor so that he can purchase this pearl of great price because he knows the pearl of great price is worth a thousand times what he's worth already. He's he's perfectly fine with letting down his rubber ball and plastic car, all of his holdings, so his hands are in a position to receive this pearl of great price. Why not get rid of the plastic holdings for the pearl unlike any other pearl? I mean, when you're presented with an opportunity like this and you actually count the cost, you look at the plastic, you look at the pearl of great price, and you go, this is a this is a gift. How weird that people wouldn't actually do that when they know. And the only thing I can think of is if you're not doing that, putting down your plastic or the pearl, you aren't digging it. I, uh, How many of you all have heard of Vincent Van Gogh? Does that ring a bell? Okay, yeah, okay, good, good. You know, art, art people, you're wonderful, so smart. Vincent Van Gogh painted about 55 paintings more or less. He only sold one painting during his lifetime. He died in 1890. I did the math. The, the painting sold for what would be the equivalent of 310 U.S. dollars this year. 310 bucks. You go over to Franis, which are there all the time on the wall, there are these paintings and stuff. They're, that's a below average price for a painting. He sold one painting. In 1990, 100 years after his death, one of his paintings sold for $148.6 million dollars. Wow, this is why I'm really kind of bitter toward my great-great-grandparents because they lived in Germany, which was right next to Belgium at the time. If they would have bought one of his paintings, I would be a rich, rich man right now. If they would have bought all of his paintings for like a ridiculously low price, I could be right now a billionaire. But that's okay. I am not bitter. I I have forgiven my great-great-grandparents. But here's the point. How tragic to have an opportunity for something of virtual priceless value, and you don't take it because of what? The plastic. Do you appreciate the gift that has been given to you? Your response to that or lack thereof says a lot about your maturity, says a lot about what you're seeing or what you're not seeing. Jesus Christ is the greatest gift God could have possibly given. Can you dig it? Jesus Christ is the gift that God gave that God himself could not possibly outgive. Can you dig that? I, I hope so. And if you're here this morning and you have not yet received the gift, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. And you would be wise to receive it. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you are here this morning, you would say, you know, I recognize that I've sinned. I've fallen short. I I, I need a Savior who will save me from my sin. The problems aren't just out there. I don't just need a a heavenly patron or an eternal ongoing meal ticket. What I need is a Savior to save me from my sin, for my sin to be forgiven and dealt with. And I know that God sent the Son, Jesus Christ. He took my place. And I want to receive that gift right now. If that's you, just pray right where you are. I'm not tricking you into doing anything or signing up for anything. This This is what it is. Just pray to God. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. And I know I need a Savior. And I know Jesus Christ is the gift given to all the world, and that includes me. You sent this gift to me. And now, dear Heavenly Father, I want to receive the gift of Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. He came and He lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died, dealt with my sin once and for all in His life, in His death, burial, and resurrection. So, dear God, I don't know all the other stuff, but I just know this much. I know He's a gift and I receive it. Thank you for saving me from my sin. And now God just help me to live out the rest of my days, not earning a gift that's already been given, but living out, thankfully, a life as a result of the gift that has been given. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for coming into my life. In Christ's name, amen.